0: Hi everybody, I'm Scott.
1: Hello, I'm Julie. And this
0: is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast.
1: Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface.
0: Yes. I don't know, is this... Is this... Uh, a pro Airbnb book or an anti Airbnb <laughs> book? <laughs> I feel like that's the major I, theme, isn't I, it?
1: I, yeah, in the 1950s, sh- Margaret Kennedy was so prescient. <laughs> Do not go to a hotel.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, you. Well, gotta, some
1: people did okay at the hotel. Yeah,
0: and and I You're love right. I I love that they name their houses still. I mean,
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: it's good stuff. But it, we're talking about the Feast by Margaret Kennedy a book that I had not even heard of until you brought it up and which I loved. I adored this book.
1: Oh, so glad Mm -hmm. I heard about it on Goodreads where Jeff Miller, the Kirk jester had read it. Ooh, Jeff Miller. Yes. Yeah. So I picked it up from him and he'd heard about it from maybe Amy Wellborn. So it was making its way through the Catholic circles, I guess. Very cool. And, uh, it's funny because it's, fairly popular and it's a book I think it was published in 1950 and kind of popular at the time but then completely forgotten and I don't know how it got found again because I didn't read the foreword so that uh, may have said all that stuff but if you get this book, do not read the foreword until afterward it doesn't specifically give away some stuff but it gives away enough other things that you you just need to experience this fresh
0: yeah my Kindle version had no forward oh, okay but it, when I was poking around at some reviews after I was finished it, and um a, a couple of them mentioned a forward that or an introduction written by
1: um yeah.
0: well, I can't remember the name, but they said it was very worthwhile
1: Kathleen Rensenbrink. yeah
0: maybe. that's it that's the one that's been mentioned
1: and I meant to read it, but I forgot uh, you know so
0: I need to and you know, next time I'm in the bookstore, I'll see if I can find a hard copy, and I'll just read the introduction. Yeah, <laughs> secretly read the introduction. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and I think I listened to the audio of it. Hmm. I feel like I did. Now I can't remember, of course. But well, and if not, it was from the library because I bought the book. My book club read it this last a couple of weeks for a couple of weeks ago because I had given it to Hannah, and Hannah had picked it for our next book club sets of books. And um, then I knew I, we had already scheduled it for us. So I've had lots of conversation about it.
0: Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot to discuss. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So what, have to s- how would you describe okay. it? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the description is, it's uh, essentially a mystery Okay, so this is the non-spoiler thing. So it's a mystery. <laughs> and it's, uh basically starts off with a couple of priests talking, and one of them says he's got to write a eulogy for these seven people who died when a cliff collapsed, and it crushed a hotel that was in the cove beneath the cliff. And then he says, and afterwards, all the survivors came to my house and just started pouring their stories out, so I'm going to tell you but they told me. And then the book moves back in time a week ahead of this cliff collapse where we see everybody gathering at the hotel. They're all coming to stay for whatever reason. We see the people who own and run the hotel getting ready. And that's, it's kind of feels like, um, you know, one of those Agatha Christie mysteries where everybody's in a house for Christmas or something, and then there's a murder. So this is that same kind of thing with the introduction. And, as you go through the book and learn who everybody is, you know, of course, it's a big cast of characters, though. You said you counted 28 or something yeah, like that? Yeah,
0: there was, I don't know, significant characters, maybe 25. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, many.
1: There's a lot to keep track of. Well, and there's, mm-hmm. I would say, of all those characters, at least 10 are very important, and maybe more.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, probably...
1: Yep. Now that I think about it, 14, 15, 16 of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So that's a lot (laughs) to keep track of. And Mm -hmm. so what happens though is as I was going through it the first time, I was so curious about who was going to die because the mystery is really not that people are going to die. It's which seven is it going to be? And when you're doing it, I, you know, everybody's gathering and there were some children on the train who were going to be there. And that's when I went, what? Children can't be there. (laughs) And I was horrified by this idea. And that's when I realized I was invested fairly early on.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: As you go through, there are plenty of people who you'd be happy to see die in a hotel collapsing with a clip (laughs) on top of it. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. the characters Mm -hmm. develop and change in such a way that then sometimes you're like, oh, no, wait, I don't want this person to die. Yeah, They're becoming better. Okay, They're I agree. And
0: I, I feel like that's a, a difference. And, and you've read more Agatha Christie than me. Mm-hmm. But the, the way these characters grow and change in your mind is not very Agatha Christie-like. In, no. But it, the, the whole idea of a, a bunch of people together, uh, you know, there's no inspector or anything like that. Nobody's trying to solve a murder. But this, this feel of a whole bunch of people coming together, like an ensemble cast, um, coming together in a single space and interacting, um, while you as the reader are like, who's going to make it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Or, or the, the opposite, who's not going to make it, (laughs) you know?
1: Well, yeah. And I was really worried about, of course, both things when I'm busy spending my whole time figuring out who's going to die. And by the end, you're fairly sure of some of the people, but there's still iffy things the whole way to the very collapse of the cliff. It's really suspenseful.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, I don't think it's too spoilery to say, you know, what the feast is, is this little party that. Uh, some of the kids are trying to throw together. Um, We can delve into that a little more. But
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I think at some point, once this feast comes up and you start to feel that people are pro and con, it's like, no, I'm (laughs) never going to that thing. Or, yeah, I'm excited about that thing. You know, you feel... I did understand that that was going to be the dividing line. Who was going to go to that feast and who was not? And um, I could tell that moving into the, the tail end of the book.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of a developing theme, too, because as it comes up, there's just a few people who come up with this idea, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but to make a certain set of children happy, hmm. which is a very good thing to do, very worthwhile, very thoughtful and sweet. And the thing is, is that as it goes along and the place for the feast is picked and what's going to happen develops and the way people get invited to it and everything and how they respond, as you say. That's when you suddenly realize, oh. And so then you're looking at that secondary motivation of, I wonder if they'll go to the feast. Because hmm. everyone's invited. And yeah. uh, so, and, that, and here's the other thing. That's a profound things.
0: thing, too, isn't it? Everyone's well, invited. R- but everyone's
1: invited.
0: decides but- to go?
2: But not yeah, I goes. mean that it, it
0: just has this. Yeah, and that's another thing about this book is there is a very deep undercurrent of um. I it's just depth, you know. Uh, Phil, you know, talking about various religious themes throughout. I mean, things mm-hmm. just keep coming up between in conversations and in actions, and um, I don't know. It, it's almost fable-like um, in a right. way.
1: It's yeah. kind of, well, and I hate to say this, because it really just reads like a regular mystery. Um, Absolutely does. Mystery.
0: And a very well-written one, one that's engaging, right. and um, yeah, right. I was being pulled forward. I had, It was no effort to read this book. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and you said as soon as you got done, you started reading it again. I did.
0: I, I turned around yeah. and started reading again because of what happened, and um, I'm already picking up so much. Yeah. Um, That I, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think that on the, on this first read, there's so many characters that I did have times where I was like, okay, who's who was that this person, you know, did that person (laughs) earlier in the book say this, you know, Mm -hmm. I I was having a little trouble holding that together. And then, but it's like, now that I'm finished and I started over now, it's like, suddenly I'm a hundred percent in, you know.
1: And yeah. And so. What I would say is it does go forward. And if you're interested in that, there are definitely some strands that are being followed that anybody who's got faith is good or in interested in the philosophy of living, I would yes, even say agreed. are interested mm-hmm. in because it's these people aren't necessarily religious. so but the way the author wove all this stuff together is good because when I first listened to it, I I was just into the mystery part or read it, whatever I did. I was just into the mystery part. And I noticed these themes, like the big theme of there's this feast at the end and, you know, whoever comes makes it and whoever doesn't, doesn't. Um, but it was when I started rereading it for the book club and for this conversation that I noticed the stuff that we are not going to talk about until after.
0: Before we jump in there. Yeah. I I would highly recommend this book. Um, it is just great. Um, You know, but before we go into spoilers, because um I I do like the Agatha Christie sort of connection there. Um I was trying to think of some other things that it reminded me of, but but, you know, this just a large group of characters and you know, even religious themes out of it I was super impressed with how much um she could do with character the author. Mm -hmm. In this space, um, I mean, these are developed people, they've all got their past, you know, they've all got things they're dealing with, and and many of them changed during the book. Um, they're changed by the circumstance of really being, interacting with this whole community. Um, I, I was just thoroughly impressed by Margaret Kennedy. I don't know if you've read anything else by her, or if anything else is worth it, but this was really an impressive thing. I thought it was really smart and engaging. And um, anyway, highest recommendation.
1: And I'm so glad. And I will say in, in your um, comment about, the way everything's developed and the people have a backstory. It's funny because they do, they're very complete characters. You know a lot about them, but it all is presented in such a way that it's not a boring info dump.
0: Not at all. And because
1: this happened and because that happened, they'll have maybe a paragraph or two of explanation occasionally, Mm -hmm. but it just kind of goes along with the story. It doesn't stop things. And I know what Hannah was saying that she liked about it was that it was written very low key As if the stakes for the people were low and all the little things they were doing around the hotel, interacting with each other, but they're the highest stakes. So it's showing that these little things are what matter in making you who you are. Yeah,
0: very much. And yeah, the
1: decisions that you make. And so that's all, you know, just part of her excellent storytelling.
0: Yeah, agreed. And and I did also like, I found it refreshing that, um, you know, the chapters were very short, Mm-hmm. Um, she kept jumping from character set to character set. Um, sometimes there would be a diary entry. Sometimes it would be a letter. Sometimes it was the inner thoughts of somebody. Um, you know, I remember uh, a character just sitting there thinking, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you'd hear, you know, his thoughts. Um, it, it, I just, it was so well done. Yeah. 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 Now we can go I spoilers. agree. Yeah. spoilers. If yeah. I didn't convince someone to read it first, <laughs> then I'm sorry.
1: We did our best. We did
0: our best, yeah.
1: So what I want to talk about, and this may be a lot of the conversation or not, but what I was interested in, and this is why I think I listened to it first, um, is when I was reading this book the second time, I'm going through and they get to the part where they've been to church, all the people's reactions to whatever's been going on. And they get to suddenly what we're presented with are TypeScript notes for a sermon preached by the Reverend S. Bot. And I'm looking at this and it's just little bullet points, horribly typed, because they made the I, point he's just I love terrible it. at typing. Yeah, horribly typed yeah, is so, so cool. So great. But I'm looking at it. And I hadn't really thought about what anybody else was saying as things were going on, because it was about this person squirming in charge, this person thinking, no, no, I want to be good, so I'll do this. But um, it's talking about the seven deadly sins that he preaches about, seven deadly forms of spiritual isolation, vices which destroy gratitude and generosity. And then he lists them with his little definition of them. And I suddenly went, wait a minute, there is nothing else like this in the entire book since I've read it. Why is this here? Now, I'm not often smart enough to have those ideas, so I was like (laughs) super stoked over this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I'm looking at it and I went, seven deadly sins, seven people die. Hold on.
2: <laughs> Wait to I think I'm,
1: the, I'm the think I'm getting smart here. Mm-hmm. Now, later, I'm reading different people's reviews and uh, the a little bit of the forward notes and everything. I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one to discover this. Everybody knew <laughs> <do> it. <laughs> but, but it was a real moment of real clarity for me because then I made a list of the seven sins and started... As I was reading, I started thinking about who was it that fit these descriptions. And then, halfway through doing that, I suddenly went, hold on, each of these sins has a virtue that Ooh, corresponds with... I didn't go with, that
0: far.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, well, so then we can talk about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I suddenly went, "Is there? are there seven people who are the opposite example? They're trying to practice the virtues that fight this sin. Hmm. And I uh, came did up, with find, d- did yeah, up with
0: seven. You did come up with seven. Very good. Mm-hmm.
1: That's so cool. we can kind of go through those if you're interested. I'm but very, um, yeah, I'm very. Yeah, but just thinking of this. So then, in that case, this, as well as a really good mystery, this becomes a really interesting morality tale. Like you mm-hmm. said, it's like a fable.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: But somehow, it's a morality tale told in a way that it really engages you, and that made all the conversations, all the other things people were saying just that much more meaningful. And I suddenly was just really loving this book even more than I had the yeah, first time. That's,
0: that's what I'm doing on the second read. I didn't go so far as think of seven virtues, um, but I was connecting people to the sins and figuring out, okay, were, were they there at the end? You know, where were they at the end?
2: Right. Um,
0: and um, figuring that out. Um, so I was making that connection. And, and mm-hmm. I just, I absolutely love this kind of book because this, you could not look into this at all and it would just be a great book, um, yes. but it's so fun to look into this. Um, but yeah, I did, I did come up with a list of seven and the sins, but I did not come up with a list of the virtues. I think that's awesome. And I love yeah, that you found Yeah, well,
1: that. somebody was saying she had this idea originally, she wanted to write this kind of thing about the seven deadly sins here's how she was gonna set it up and she got really she really was having trouble writing it and going oh this is awful and then what happened is she got really excited by all the other people that she put in the book to tell the story Hmm. so it's the whole cast of characters that got her really into it and really engaged in filling it all out. And I think it just turned into something wonderful.
0: Oh, that's great. Do you think Mm -hmm. she, um, obviously she purposely had seven sins, people representing those. Do you think she purposely had seven virtues or did that just kind of fall out? No,
1: I I think it did. You think it did? Okay. Great. I, well, if you're so attuned to things that you're going to write this morality tale, essentially, that's got the seven deadly sins, you would have to look at the virtues and, I also think that because right after, hold on, right after the bit where the seven sins are listed, it has us in Sir Henry Gifford's thoughts
2: Mm.
1: where he said, and because this was also the thing that made me go where I was going, I wonder if that's true. And then I read this bit and I went, it has to be true. Mm. This was like the light bulb because what he's saying is, but where do I come in? I'm a sinner, yeah. I suppose. We all are. But which of this little list is mine, and what do I do about it? Hmm. Number four, I know this, a nice, easy tune. I really don't think I'm proud. I know I'm not envious. And I'm not slothful. I work very hard. I have plenty of practice in keeping my temper. If I were covetous, i do this. And then he says, um, my sin is weakness. And I believe that goes for most of us here. We don't do evil, but we consent. we let ourselves be pushed about
2: hmm.
1: and yeah. um he and then it's describing what's happening, and then he goes on thinking about it and says, "Well, what do i what do I do so I could really think about this properly? He wanted to feel he wanted to connect with all this stuff, and he says, "Um." I have to think about the people I love. And then he realizes he doesn't love his own children.
2: Hmm.
1: And of course, that a lot of that's because of his wife and the various things going on. And he's like, okay, I'll think about the past. And then it kind of leaves him. So you, but you leave him contemplating this, where do I fit in here? How do I move forward? How do I, you know, fight my sin, which is weakness. So when I was reading all this, I was going, oh, he's actually really thinking about this. And that's when I went, oh, okay. And then later on, I thought about that again and went, well, if he's trying to fight it, who else is trying to fight it? And there are several conversations that key us into that. So, when Mrs. Um, Paley and uh, Evangeline Raxton are talking to Mr. Siddle, who's, you know, this intellectual philosopher type. Yeah. And they're talking about, um, let me find... And um, this is fairly far along. It's page 294 of the print book. But he's talking about, he mentions pride. And Mrs. Paley says, yes, said Mrs. Paley, pride and self-respect. And we could just say now, Mr. Paley is the prideful one. He's the one that tells somebody, somebody says, but, but God has forgiven you for this thing. And he goes, well, God can, but I don't forgive myself. And then later on, he has a conversation with Mr. Siddle. He's saying, I don't think I owe anything to anybody. What I am, what I have are the results of my own efforts. And Mr. Siddle says, you didn't conceive yourself or give birth to yourself. You didn't invent the language you use and in which the wisdom of other generations has been communicated to you by other people. You couldn't even do a noble deed without some help from us. It was we who first gave you a notion of nobility. And anyway, you'd need somebody else to do it too. You didn't weave the cloth you wear or grow the bread you eat. And Mr. Paley says, I pay for what I have. Hmm. Mr. Siddle says, do you pay enough? Does anyone pay enough? Has any man repaid the millionth part of all he has received? Where would you be without us? Did you ever read the life of Helen Keller? Blind, deaf, dumb, a soul in prison, an intellect frozen by solitude, unable to reach us all alone. And then... And of course, that goes into um, he, Mr. Paley's dream, which we can, I would really love to talk about later. But mm-hmm. so this is Mr. Paley. And I love the way that Mr. Siddle, who also has a serious problem, but he's able to kind of just intellectually go, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Kind of like God talking to Job, right?
2: Right. Where were right. you when
1: I created everything? Yeah. Do you make the winds and the rhinoceros and all the things? And, um, So, we know, based on him saying, I don't forgive myself, I don't accept what God, that God would forgive me, all this stuff. So, Mrs. Paley is struggling with living with this person, because they had a child who died, and I believe that kind of froze everything in the relationship.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: she's fighting out of it now. And so, she's talking, and she says, yes, said Mrs. Paley, pride and self-respect. And Mr. Siddle says, and self-respect. As you say, Mrs. Paley, they are often confused. This is because they give rise to a certain extent to the same kind of conduct. Proud people and self-respecting people prefer to sail under their own steam, paddle their own canoes, and boil their own kettles of fish. They do not demand help or sympathy, but the motive, he emphasized the word by patting her knee, the motive is different. Self-respect regards independence as a social and moral duty. We must not fling our burdens onto the shoulders of other people. We must not inflict on them the story of our woes, but self-respect is not antagonized by sympathy or offers of help. It may be it may feel obliged to refuse them, but it can be touched by the offer and respect the generosity which makes the offer. And so then they talk about how humiliating it is for a proud man to be offered help because that's an insult. Mm. And then Evangeline Raxton says, I want to know about patience. Can somebody be too patient? So then he talks about what's the true nature of patience. He goes, you're thinking of submission, but patience is the capacity to endure all that is necessary to attaining a desired end. Mm. The patient man is master of his fate. So, um she is struggling of course, with her hu- her not husband, her father yeah. who is the embodiment of wrath. he's just awful, cool. oh boy, yeah,
0: so so far i'm I'm lined up with you on who's what
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah so part yeah. of Mr.
0: Paley's thing is yeah he won't he won't confront his grief it's like he won't right. let anybody in to help him with that he can't he's not gonna say it to anybody, you know, um mm-hmm. so yeah, he just can't. And then that, that really shuts down the whole marriage.
1: So the virtue that's associated with pride is humility. Okay. Or as they say in here, kind of like a self-respect. Well, the way he describes self-respect is the de- kind of the definition of humility in a sense of humility means not that you're lying down like a doormat, but that you know who you are. You know what God has done for you, you know your virtues and your vices, you're willing to accept them and kind of move forward trying to work with God to make things better. Does that sound like a good definition? Yeah, for sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she is coming to that through this book. We see her developing that.
2: Yes. She yeah. says,
1: I can't be frozen. I've got to move forward. So she starts helping these other people who she sees Yeah. As she victims. actually
0: she goes and gets Evangeline. Right. From her room and says, come down to the beach, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just
1: get out of here. Let's yeah, just she, hang I mean, out. She
0: acted on it just immediately once she realized it. Right. You know, one of those moments we sometimes have. Yes. Uh, and I loved it. And then she started to change at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was fantastic. And
1: as that crowd grew bigger, as people kind of wander across them sitting up on the cliff or whatever when they where they'd spend the night up there looking at the stars And um, people would kind of wander across them and then kind of be attracted back again. And she wasn't seeking any of them out, but they would seek her out for advice. Mm -hmm. And um, so, it formed a different little community of people who were able to kind of become more themselves, Mm -hmm. see more of what path they were supposed to follow, get their thoughts clear.
2: Yeah,
1: And so... After as you would read or as I would read things like this with these kind of conversations, I felt more confirmed in the idea that there are per- people who are the virtuous people also,
2: yeah, so or that's are really
1: cool developing mm-hmm. virtue,
0: yeah, I loved it so so Mr. Paley and Mrs. Paley are two opposites there.
1: Mm-hmm. was the
0: same true, like with Mr. Siddle and his wife?
1: Well, see, I felt like. So, Mr. Siddle is sloth or a sedia, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but anyway. Right. He, yeah, he, he can't even be bothered to open the mail, which would have <laughs> saved everybody's lives.
0: I loved at the end when he's trying to climb up the cliff, <laughs> he can't mm-hmm. make it. It was like yeah. he had put himself in a state where he couldn't even make it.
1: Yeah. And, he was um, so weak, he couldn't yeah. do it. And he knew he needed to because that's. Really cool, too, what this urge that people are, a few people are feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, But, so, I would say, so, the opposite of that, I had to look all these things up, but Uh the opposite of that is diligence. Okay. You apply yourself to things, you get them done, you don't put them off, especially the things you want to do the least. Um, I'm diligent about a lot of things that I enjoy doing. (laughs) But it's the things that I don't want, the Mm -hmm. phone calls I don't want to make, all these things. Yeah. I hear you. yeah, every day I pray for the grace of diligence. And mm. I, my mom heard me saying that to somebody, when, like maybe Rose or somebody one day. And she goes, you are so, you do everything. And I'm, I'm like, not the stuff I don't like. I'll put that off for days and days, you know. Um, Jerry, the son Jerry, yeah, who nobody likes, but he's the one who he'll go clean the furnace out. He'll go do these things because the family needs it. He doesn't want to do it, but he does it. And, as a result, what happens? His mother doesn't like him. he's earning the money that the family's living off, helping the family live off of it. They just want to use him. They want him to stay there and not go anywhere else or be be the doctor or whatever, so that her favorite younger son can have the privileges <laughs> that he earns for them.
0: yeah, that's
1: and he's still doing rough. all this, yeah, don't you think he's I do. a good yeah one.
0: that that fits. Yeah, Jerry was the driver for a lot of the things that happened. Um, so yeah, I really like this connection. This is this is great.
1: Yeah, and so he's kind of interested in Evangeline from the beginning, mostly because he can't stand her at the beginning. Yeah, because she was she's... so
0: weird at the beginning, and right. and she changed Poor over the thing. book as well. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Once once he got her alone, it was like she was acting normally. Um. Mostly, well, <laughs> took yeah, it took her a minute, but it, but yeah, but she was under this wrath of Canon yeah. Raxton, right?
1: This insane, um, he's just a bully. Tension she had suffered, yeah. Who, yeah. So he, Colonel Raxton, was wrath. Yes. And the opposite of wrath is meekness and patience and self control, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but meekness kind of encounter embodies those other two things a lot. But, and again, this is the thing where you have to know that meekness is, um, it's like humility in a Mm. lot of ways. Jesus was meek, but nobody ran all over him. Right. Um, You know, blessed are the meek. Yes. So, but she has been (laughs) so... Sorry, I laugh because I I can never hear
0: that line without uh, thinking of life of Brian. (laughs) anyway go ahead
1: (laughs) and also blessed are the cheesemakers let's not forget that anybody involved in the production of dairy products not that I've seen it too many times or or anything (laughs) oh joy oh that's nice they really have a hell of a time don't they the (laughs) (laughs) meek oh gosh
0: too fun Um, So, so who's meek
1: Evangeline
0: Evangeline. Okay. by
1: the end of the book
0: yeah so, she is kind of pairing this in, in the families. Mm-hmm. Even though it wasn't Mr. and Mrs. Siddle, it was Mr. Sittle and his son. Yeah. The son that didn't and look like him. How interesting.
1: Well, I think yeah. it's, oh, that's a good point. But I also think it's people who are, maybe that we see connected in the book, not necessarily by family.
0: Right, okay.
1: But by, do we just see them with each other. So... Envy is Miss Ellis. Yeah. Don't you think?
0: That's what I got. Yeah.
1: She's just She loves to see other
0: people suffer.
1: Yeah. It doesn't even matter. I I
0: mean she was like she was like dissing socialism and success. It was like (laughs) she was was like everything. Oh yeah, but at least it tore the rich down. That's good. Oh she's so malicious. She's just so unhappy. Yeah.
1: Well, and I was thinking because I think of envy as being, you know, I want that thing. Right. But that's covetousness. And, which is also in here but i was reading somewhere i came across saint thomas aquinas defined envy as sorrow for another's good. Mm. And it went which is the opposite is of
0: love, right? Right. You know love is wishing the good of the other. willing
1: the good of the other, which is yeah. him of course too. And those those are such helpful definitions because it helps us evaluate our feelings versus our intentions. Mm. You know, yeah. you, you can not necessarily like someone, but you can will their good. Right. You don't have to like them to love them in that way. And the same thing, of course, for envy. You, you don't have to hate someone to feel sorrow for their good. You're just like, why don't I have that thing? Mm. Or, you yeah. know, why is this happening to them? And, you know, that's good for them. Ugh.
0: Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah.
1: I used to say a long time ago... It's a real common thing, like somebody gets to go to Hawaii or something, and you go, oh, I hate you. I wish I could go.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that. So that's, yeah, that's
1: kind of considered, you know, it's like a polite way of going, oh, you lucky thing. But I realized how mean it sounds, and nobody takes it that way, but it's kind of when I came across this kind of idea of envy, I went, oh, well, I should just say what that really means, which is, oh, you're so lucky. I'm so excited for you. Mm -hmm. You know, not worrying about, I can't go.
0: Yeah. Um, Very good. So what's the opposite?
1: Do you think Nancy Bell?
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Because the opposite is charity mm-hmm. or kindness. And, and charity, she as you say, yeah, the old definition of love. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about her is she winds up being the impetus, I think, for another person becoming virtuous. So uh, one of the sins is lechery. And of course that's Anna, I can't remember her name. Starts with the L. Yeah,
0: she's the writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's
1: the bum. She's kind of she,
0: like a um, She's like
1: a vampire.
0: One of the reviews of called her a cougar. Yo They <laughs> said oh, in modern that, times she would be a cougar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: She's just awful. Yeah. And what she does to um is it Hebe? Yeah. The little girl. Right. It's just
0: takes awful. her out and gets her drunk.
1: Right and and puts her with all those old latches and things, yeah. um, just to be mean. But um, anyway, that that doesn't necessarily. And even by do the th- way,
0: is ten years old.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. She's precocious, but she doesn't know she's ten years old. She's I mean, like, yeah, you know. it's like
0: the uh, the the aunt that wants to be the good aunt or the the be- the favorite or whatever, but it's like, yeah, let me bring you in on on. Uh, my worst traits
1: oh, that you must
0: love, you know. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, the opposite of that is chastity. Mhm. Um which goes along with things like fasting, abstinence, it's, you know, withholding something for um well, for one thing, chastity of course goes opposite lechery. You're not running around having sex with every person who looks at you twice. Right. Or doing it for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, for that, we have first Bruce, who's her driver, Mm -hmm. but also her lover, who she's, and her protege, who's becoming a writer. Um, Eventually, because of his admiration for Nancy Bell, and actually that makes him confess his true life to her, Mm. it also makes him change.
0: Yeah, and I did um that was quite a thing, you know, I when Nancy Bell was just doing chores and Bruce showed up and she she knew what was going on, that whole discussion.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
0: you know, where he asked her if she was jealous. You know, yeah. it was like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And but it's just it was just like stab, you know, it was a stab. Um, uh-huh. but he he was like, "Well, I'm I'm a I'm a writer. I'm experiencing things." You know, that's what mm-hmm. I did. You know, you're you're old fashioned. I should be, you know, you should be happy that I'm out experiencing. So I have some things to write about, you know, and that's straight from Anna, you know.
1: And she, Nancy Bell says, oh, look at what you're experiencing. Yeah. No, thanks. She says, I don't need she that. says
0: now you're experiencing <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I don't want to be with you anymore. That's your experience, buddy.
1: Yeah. Write you know. that in a book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was great. You know, I, I was like, way to go, Nancy yeah. Bell. Yeah, well done.
1: Yeah, because mm. and cause at first, Nancy Bell's just telling it like she sees it because she's being pushed around. Mm-hmm. Everybody, he's pushing her to, I'm okay, this and that. And Anna's senses a rival. Mm. And Nancy Bell's like, yeah, I could be. No.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So
0: you're saying then that Bruce sort of evolves then into chastity?
1: Yes, because mm-hmm. he leaves, he's driving a bus. He's mm-hmm. not writing. Yeah. He's just earning a solid living. So, he's withholding from those things that gave him all that pleasure like that. And he's being chased in his life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's hoping, he's not even saying, I wish I could get together with you, Nancy Bell. I'm going to earn you. He's saying, thank you for what you've taught me.
0: Yeah. Very
1: And good. Nancy Bell's mm-hmm. like, if he does come back, because she's seen this change in him, she's like, I did like him a lot. Mm-hmm. See, she held the line, and this is that kindness, the charity which wills the good of the other, even if it's not what you want at the moment. Yeah, that's a
0: good thing to remember too, because yeah, charity doesn't mean being nice all the time. I mean, it means sometimes doing a hard thing for the for the good. Yeah,
1: right. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. um, I just can't remember. I was talking to. Kind of Ben Rose or Tom or anyway somebody around the house and we were talking about things like this. I was saying, yeah, I always want people to be happy.
2: Hmm.
1: And I was like, but most people hear me say that and they think it means I just want to give them everything they want, and that's not what I want. What I want is for them to, oh, I don't know. I want them to have the things that make them better people, or and that makes me sound like a self-improving person. I hmm. mean. Thanksgiving was yesterday. That was our feast, right? Yeah. I was cooking and doing all this stuff because I wanted everybody to have a great dinner. So, that's the giving part. But the other part is, it's why I go through the pain of making my mother do her exercises every day. Yeah. She doesn't like it, and I don't like it. And it kind of puts a bit of an edge on our relationship because she thinks of me like the exercise cops. But what it does is mean she can live in this house She's got the strength to go up and down the stairs into our little sunken living room. She can go out and have dinner with somebody because she's got, she can walk. So this is the charity that so, I right. practice on her And behalf. the
0: alternative is not doing those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't I do mean, those things. Yeah. And she winds up in a wheelchair in six months or a year. Right. Yeah. And maybe back in the hospital because she's not strong enough to get over you know, like a bad cough or whatever.
0: Right, right. Yeah, very good. Oh, I'm loving this. So I think <laughs> I think that the last one we have is greed, right, Mrs. Cove?
1: Uh, we have two. We okay. have gluttony.
0: Gluttony. Oh yes, we didn't do that one. Lady Gifford yes. is who I have. Yeah,
1: show brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. cream. It must be the best cream. And it was interesting. But cream is all I could take.
0: Yeah. And so that was interesting. I don't. I don't know that. Um, I don't remember seeing that Lady Gifford was like a large person. It, 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 was to, it was like she was l- saying things like, I mean, even the, the very first letter that we saw where she wrote, oh, you yes. know, very early She's... on, she was like, don't show people what you're giving me, you know, that might be annoyed by it, but I need to eat alone and I have this special thing. These are the Um-huh. things I don't want in these other things, <laughs> you know, and the other things are like powdered milk, you know, things that people wouldn't you couldn't really do- be ideal anyway. Um, but she's like, and even if you have to deny someone else something because you're giving me something, then uh that's okay, do that. right, you know, do that right, and in fact, um the uh Mrs. Siddle was actually doing that. she was saving the cream for mm-hmm. her, and then um was it Jerry who came in and she gave the rest of it to Jerry, or was it?
1: her Was other son duff. duff duff yeah that's
0: it so duff came in and she gave it all to duff so um yeah
1: well and there's something to think about here too if we think about i can't remember, i didn't make specific notes so if i get some little details wrong somebody please you make a comment or let me know but the thing is is that the medievals looked at the sin of gluttony and they saw it going in a lot of different directions. Mm. One is the way we think of it, which is just eat as much as you possibly can all the time or consume as much as you can all the time, right? Yeah. But the other way they'd look at it is being very, very, very particular about what you eat because mm. you're putting so much emphasis on the food.
0: I see, yeah.
1: Um, And so that's one of the things she was doing. And the other thing is, Is did you understand the significance of, or you can take a pill, um, and it makes you thin all the time? When that when Hebe brought that up,
0: no, I didn't. Mrs.
1: Gifford looked really scared and gave her a look, and Hebe looked really scared. And later, Sir Henry's going, "What is it? What it was is she took a pill that had a tapeworm in it, Mm. like tapeworm egg. So she was so thin while eating all that stuff." Because she had a tapeworm, deliberately had a tapeworm. So, when they were in America, um, and Hebe then is telling Sir Henry later, she had gotten really fat. She was eating all the time. And she heard that, like, American movie stars and things would get doctors to give them tapeworm pills. So, that would make them very thin. Wow. And they could eat whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things to remember about in the setting of this book England, for many years after World War II, didn't have enough food. They're having to use ration coupons. So when she's demanding the cream and the powdered milk, powdered milk would have been at a premium. Mm. Not everyone could get powdered milk. So all these things she's asking for are things that would have been really hard to get. So that's why people were saving their coupons so they Mm. could get enough sugar.
0: Yeah. So she's
1: demanding the best of what is available and being real persnickety about how it's going to be eaten and given to her. And being a glutton because she's got a tapeworm so she can look thin and act sick all the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch the tapeworm thing. Um, yeah. But I definitely caught, you know, they, they talked yeah. often about rations. In yeah. fact, there was a time where, the, you know, the kids were able to get some candy, but it was rationed pretty heavily. Yeah, Yeah, people are in
1: line for it.
0: Right. So she's in her letter, which is actually the first chapter of the book. Mm -hmm. So this is Lady Gifford to the owner of the hotel. Um, She says, "Um, I will just jot down now, A, what my doctor says I may eat, and B, what I may not eat. So on the list of things she may eat, poultry, game, fresh butcher's meat, Liver, kidneys, sweetbreads, etc., bacon, tongue, ham, fresh vegetables, green salads, fresh eggs, milk, butter, etc. So you see, there's a wide choice. And then, and what she <laughs> can't eat sausage meat, <laughs> twice cooked meat, margarine, nothing out of a tin, i.e., no powdered eggs, dried milk, etc., and no corned beef. Okay. So she's just like, okay, so this stuff that uh, people are subsisting on. It is not something that I can have, but I need all this expensive stuff.
1: Well, exactly. And she's continually, if you think about her dealings with money, she's continually trying to cheat and get more for her money Hmm. and not pay the taxes on, I don't understand the monetary situation of why you couldn't exchange money, but I'm sure it had to do with whatever Was left over from World War II, and I forgot my husband would have known. But anyway,
0: (laughs) but it definitely caused her some problems. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, and then she wants to go to Guernsey and live because they can do use all their money tax free or whatever, and she can get cream and eggs and all this. So yeah, so powdered milk that was the thing she didn't want. Yeah, because it's powdered, as you said, powdered milk is not very good. The
0: fresh eggs and the milk and butter.
1: Yeah, as do we all. Right. And we're living in the land of plenty, so. Of course, the opposite of gluttony is temperance. Mm. And um, my pick for that was Sir Henry.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, and He's that's interesting. Having, so now here we are. I mean, yeah. How are they connected? You know, I don't know. Do they interact that much?
1: Well, they're married.
0: Oh, Sir Henry Gifford. Sir Henry Gifford. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought it was, you were to see this is the problem I was having in the book. But yeah, so that they are married, so they are opposite. They're all okay. called
1: five names, like right. in an Indian movie.
0: Yes, yeah. And or, Sir Henry or, I'm sorry, was, like, yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> like so in a Sir, Russian book. That's yeah. what I meant. <laughs> so Sir Henry was the one who was contemplating himself after that sermon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. I'm saying he'd been weak and realizing he didn't love his children, and that's why throughout the book he's trying to pay more attention to the kids, and he's going, I got to keep an eye on Hebe. She is not reacting to adults. She doesn't have the proper respect for her mother that she should have. And, um, you know, and some are adopted, and but that doesn't seem to make a difference. Yeah. Um, he's He's taking an interest in them and realizing how blind he's been to some of what's going on between oh, the mother cool. and the kids and how the kids are interacting with the other children. Yeah. So, he's trying to really kind of take himself in hand. But, you know, he's the one who can kind of equitably deal with stuff. He's trying to always tamp down Lady Gifford. He's trying to find good solutions for what do we do with Hebe so so this situation can be controlled. And maybe maybe there's somebody that you would like better for Temperance. He's no, just I think the this one. is
0: great because it, it again, it's something that he grew into through the book. So yeah. it, it's he didn't start out that way. But through self realization and consideration and
2: mm-hmm.
0: um i because I love that idea because I mean it shows us all what we need to do it's you know we all start from wherever we are and then grow into these virtues, you know um, so I just yeah. love that you know i I think it's great,
1: well, in this book, I was thinking, you know, I've gotten the habit this last year of reading fiction whenever I can find enough to keep going for a year without repeating for Lectio Divina just for like 15-20 minutes in Mm -hmm. the afternoon or evening and this book would be very good for that I think I think I'm going to add it to that rotation that I've got
2: yeah
0: it's great
1: because it's a great story Mm -hmm. so that you want to read it but it's also got this stuff that makes you stop and think about your own life
0: yeah
1: um yeah, I yeah, agree. So the, and Sir Henry,
0: yeah. just that, that that chapter where he's just considering, you know, am I this? Am I that? And, you know, he's going through all the sins that were just in that sermon and mm-hmm. comparing himself to all seven of them. That was that was great. You know, that's like a examine.
1: Well, yeah. And mm-hmm. also it points out that you may not have one of these big sins. It may not be the dominant thing in your life. Let's put it this way. We've all got some things. Mm-hmm. Um, some Some of these seven I, I'm oh okay, good, I don't have this. but some of them I'm like, I have a tendency toward these. I have to fight it, right? So you try to cultivate these virtues. And the thing that um, Sir Henry thinking about it shows is my sin is weakness. Well, of course, one of the virtues one of the great virtues that um, is very key is fortitude. Then there's patience, you know, and he's yeah. patiently trying to stand up to Lady Gifford the rest of the book, and those aren't really connected specifically with these sins, but there's some of they may be the some of the cardinal sin or cardinal virtues, mm. um, the hinge ones that mm. other virtues come from right so um, he spells out for us here's what we have to do, I mean look at Evangeline too, think how she. Was not exactly giving in to temptation, but the fact that she was so frustrated and, you know, her brain had been definitely turned by her father and having to cope with him, that she would sit and powder glass mm-hmm. into a little box in her bedroom. Like, I'll never use it, but I've heard that if you give people powdered glass and it kills them, they can't discover it. So, just knowing that she could do that mm. gave her what she, the escape valve that she needed just to get through life. So... She had to have help from somebody else, Jerry, and Mrs. Paley, in order to be able to become a different person. She's the one who we see really clearly, here's the depths you can be driven to and let yourself give into, if you don't have any help or you're not trying. And she was trying because she wasn't using the powdered glass, but she needed help to become virtuous. Yeah. To put her on the path of virtue. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, and I realize I got off topic on that. No, I
0: love it. Yeah. The whole book this, this, is yeah, full just, of stuff like this. Right. It just uh, inspires discussion. That's great. Well,
1: because think of Mr. Siddle. He mm-hmm. intellectually knows all this stuff that helps other people when he's talking about patience and self-respect and all this. But as they point out, he could easily argue the other side. He doesn't care. Mm. He's not passionate about anything. He's not invested in anything. Yeah. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So, and then the last one, of course, is covetousness or avarice, mm-hmm. and that is Mrs. Cove.
0: Mrs. Cove. Oh, uh, ugh.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The worst one in the whole thing. She's rough.
0: Oh. <laughs> uh. Oh my gosh that that scene where she was gonna <laughs> cut her kid's hair or something. Oh my Shave gosh.
1: Her head. Oh. Uh. That
0: killed me. I was like, "This is well, not happening." Oh man.
1: Yeah. And it's, I know cuz I was worried about what are you going to do? The fact that it gave them the courage to lock the door against you. Yeah. What's going to happen and when it was only going to be cutting her hair off or shaving her head. I was like, "Okay." And then went, "Not now, not now." And I went, "Oh my gosh, she's done this before."
2: Oh. Uh, yeah. Not
1: when we're with people because they were homeschooled maybe. Mhm. Um anyway, so it's the thing where you're just like
0: Yeah. She's and I think awful. it was it was her embarrassment Um, amongst the other people in the hotel that made her not do that. Was it? I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Or was it
1: that they locked her out of the room? Well, they locked
0: her out of the room, but eventually they let her back in, remember? Yeah. And then she didn't follow through, but it was like... I
1: didn't think she cared what anybody thought, as long as they didn't know she wished they were all dead. Right. was trying to find ways to put them in... I mean, she wasn't specifically putting them in harm's way, Mm-hmm. But she was letting she let them go out, and then there was an air raid, and she didn't even try to find them. Yeah, she just heard that they were um, announced dead, and she went off to register it at city hall.
0: Yeah, and then let them even- let him go out to that place where they got in trouble. Um, yeah, in the water,
1: and wa- saw them through the telescope. Or They saw her through binoculars, her face, and she realized what was going to happen. That Uh, was at the Paley's. Right, I think it was Mrs. Paley,
0: yeah.
1: And Jerry? No, Jerry was with the And she could see the
0: expression on her face of just contempt. And she was like, yeah, here's here's what she looks like when she thinks nobody's watching.
1: Well, but it was kind of this weird combination of her kind of just being frozen for a minute. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, no, don't do it, don't do it, save them say something, tell someone, and then she kind of just changes the look on her face and just walks away.
0: Yeah. Incredible. So you
1: can't tell if she loves them or not, but she never acts like it once. She makes them get all the candy and give it to them. Mm -hmm. The little Coves. This her three little children, daughters. And um they are, of course, generosity, (laughs) which is the opposite of covetousness. Yeah. If you're covetous the key is start giving alms and give them big. Mm. That's That's the corrective for that. So right, right. Yeah, and so they are so pure.
0: Yeah, and they were is, they were giving when they had nothing to give. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, and they didn't understand that you could give when you had nothing to give in return. They learned that from the Giffords. They say, oh, here, have some of this candy. This is easy for us. To- oh, we can't. We have nothing to give you. So, their mother has raised them strictly. This is a tip for tat kind of thing. Hmm. And, um, and they're never given her anything, hardly. And it says, um, they're talking. This is on the train. And uh, one of the, Blanche tells her sister, they have feasts. <gasps> oh, breathed Beatrix. Both sisters fell into a reverie, sucking sweets and staring at those wonderful giffords. The word feast had a magic magic significance for the little coves. They had never been at a feast, but they had read about such doings. They had a book called The Madcap of St. Monica's, in which dormitory feasts were held at midnight the word conveyed to them they knew not what of hospitality and convivial enjoyment and their favorite game was to plan feasts which they would give if they were very rich if they were rich a hmm. difficulty in collecting guests for they knew very few people had been overcome by beatrix who suggested that a notice might be given up might be put up on their house door saying a great feast is to be held here all are invited and then everyone would come Their ignorance of the world was fantastic, for their mother could never afford to let them do anything or have anything that they wanted. But daydreams cost nothing, and in daydreams they lived, nourishing their starved imaginations upon any food they could find. These Giffords, these mad cat children who had stepped straight out of a fairy tale, were a banquet. (laughs) Awesome. And later on they say everything they had learned, their mother had taught them nothing because she had never given them one scrap of love. Everything they had learned, they'd learned from books. Mm. And I love it because they were reading the classic books, right? The classic fairy tales and all the, whatever other classic stories, like those Feast at St. Monica's or whatever. And they picked up all, they were soaking it up from stories. Mm. Here's the big truth these stories tell. And what did it leave them with? They just wanted to give to others. That would be the fun part: giving the feast, not getting the feast, giving it.
0: Right. Yeah. That's cool because some of the details of the feast itself were like that. Uh-huh. They were they were consumed with making sure everyone was having a good time. You know, and um, right. Yeah, I mean they were they were serving everybody. Um,
1: and they didn't have enough resources. Of course, they had none. This is Nancy Bell says, let's give them a feast poor little things. I can get some lobsters. And and then it starts to grow from there with other people going, oh, yeah, let's do mm-hmm. this and this. But the thing I really loved is the impetus that pushed it to 11 <laughs> was <laughs> Hebe getting involved. Because she's a, she's a mover and a shaker, even at 10. <laughs> she yeah. has ideas, and then she makes mm-hmm. them happen. And she's the one who goes, oh, we should all dress up. It should be, you mm-hmm. know. One of those kind of parties. Let's dress up like Edward Lear's characters. Yeah. And these people all do it.
2: Yeah.
0: They do. Yeah, Hebe's the one who came up with the Noble Covenant of Spartans. Yes. <laughs> which I loved.
1: I, I forgot I love that, the rules. yes.
0: Yeah, that's so fun.
1: Do you have the rules somewhere?
0: <laughs> so she she had just done something, um, I think this was on the train actually. But she had her notebook that yeah. contained the rules of the noble covenant of Spartans. she so decided to add a new one because of something that just happened. Although it yeah. could not become a law until the others had voted on it. After sucking her pencil for a while, she wrote, Rule 13, when a Spartan has done a daring thing for the benefit of all Spartans, even if he is not leader that week, everyone else must back <laughs> him up. <laughs> oh, I love it. it. It just, yeah, it just makes me happy. But she does have a place in here where she um, lists... There's like, is there seven rules? Okay, here they are. Um, Object, spelled (laughs) O-B-J-I-C-T. To raise up a band of Spartans to rule England and eventually to rule the world. Motto, everything nice is bad, everything nasty (laughs) is good.
2: Number again, the
0: essence of it. Always obey the leader. Number two, never give away Spartan secrets. Number three, never flinch from hardship. Number four, never indulge yourself. Number five, never eat your sweet ration. Number six, never kiss anybody. If somebody kisses you and you cannot help it, mutter the following silent curse. Cursed be thy flesh and bones, marrow, liver, and lights, for that thou kissest me against my will. (laughs) Then number seven, never praise except ironically. Number eight, if they make you utter non-Spartan ideas, say not under your breath. Breath spelled B-R-E-T-H. Number nine, a new leader is elected every week. Everyone is to have their turn. Number 10, the leader may not order trials which leave a scar or bruise which non-Spartans might notice. (laughs) Number 11, not more than three trials in one week. Number 12, no new rules unless there's a meeting. Number 13, when a Spartan has done a daring thing, For the, there's that one that she just wrote. Right. And then um, I like that she has she has tests for new Spartans, too.
1: Yes, it's like, that's, number
0: one is fear. Do something that frightens you. Yeah. Number two is food. Eat something that makes you sick, like a chocolate eclair and sardine, and not be sick. <laughs> number uh, And then B, eat nothing for 24 hours. Number three, smell. Uh. Smell a bad smell for 10 minutes. Like, talk to Miss Rigby. (laughs) (laughs) Retching is not allowed. (laughs) Sight. Look at anatomy pictures. Uh, Hearing. A squeaky slate pencil if you don't like it. Cold. Sleep one week on the floor without a blanket. Touch. Lie still and let yourself be tickled. Pain. Little finger pinched. Nine, especially brave deed to be chosen by the leader, really uh-huh. dangerous.
2: <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Anyway, that's yeah, so that's He they wind up well, yeah. ten-year-old you know occur- Hebe. Well, that's it. And you know, this probably should have occurred to me before. But while you were reading that, I was thinking about these children. So the Gifford children have been extremely pampered. They've lived in America when the hardships were in England because their mother wanted to get away during the war. They, they're they not stinted anything to eat or they've got nice clothes. They have the sweets that, you know, they're sharing. Oh, we have lots. Go ahead. You know, they're sharing yeah, with yeah. the coves. So, they've come up with a morality to counter that, which is Spartanism. Mm. I mean, if that's what you would call it. And it's their own version. It's imperfect. But they're, they know they need something more, right? Yeah. They need this challenge, right? Well, then you have the coves, who've never been given anything. And now, neither kid, none of these kids have really been given true love, it sounds like. Yeah. This is it, it's convenient to say she loves them, and Mrs. Cove has never even bothered. But, so, the little coves, though, have grown up with nothing. And so, their big dream is this feast Which they can give to people. So they both have kind of the opposite spirituality they developed kind of to balance out the deficits of their lives, Mm -hmm. which are opposite to each other. Right. Do you you see what I mean? Because the Spartan stuff shouldn't have been very hard for the Cobes. I mean, they were, it was, because some of those, I don't want to smell Mrs. Rigby, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, But Mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing of, they can willingly take it on, and, and Hebe's like perfectly willing to go. I know how to plan a party. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. The, the little kids wanted the coves want to join the Giffords, and they admire them so much. Oh, we'll do these hardships. We're not going to like it, but we're used to hardship.
0: Hmm. You know. Yeah, that's cool. Wow, this book is but rich. They come together,
1: yep. and the feast is what it is because of that.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, this this book is going to become a favorite. I think.
2: The, yeah, it's yeah. Just... I mean,
0: we we've, we've talked. It's just about an hour, and um, there's still so much more in there. Um,
1: oh my gosh! You wanted
0: to talk about that dream you mentioned. Would you like to do that?
1: I want to talk about the dream, and I also we have to talk about the compulsion that gets Mrs. Siddle up the cliff. Okay. Yes. Do we have time? Yeah, let her rip. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the dream. Oh my gosh, this dream. So Mr. I read the part where um, Mr. Siddle is talking to Mr. Paley about all these things that you have that you're not responsible for. And then um, he talks about Helen Keller, who had nothing until somebody from outside the community worked worked and worked and worked and worked and worked to get her to understand communication. And Mr. Paley goes pale, freaks out and runs away. And then later, he, and he's saying something like, how did he know or whatever? And I'm just thinking, we're all going, how did he know what?
0: So he says, this is my dream. It is always the same. I have been asleep. I wake up in absolute solitude. I am suspended in a vacancy, which is neither dark nor light. I cannot even see darkness. There is not even darkness for me to see. There is nothing, nothing except myself. The fact that I am is the only fact. There is no other. But not at first. Not at the beginning of my dream. There is something else then. I am smoking a cigar. I can see it, feel it, and smell it. I can see the spark of light at the end. It is infinitely precious because it is the last thing left that is not myself. When it is gone, there will be nothing. So I smoke it very slowly. I do not dare to not smoke it because it might go out and then I should not see the spark anymore. But... However slowly I smoke it, the time comes, the time comes, when it is finished. The stub burns my fingers, and I drop it, though I have been resolving never to do so, to allow the burn, since a burn, pain, from that which is not myself, would be better than absolute solitude. But I drop it. The small spark falls like a shooting star, and it's gone. After that, there is nothing, for ever and ever. Nothing, I am. Nothing, I am. Forever, I am. Nothing. Impossible to say that this should ever happen to a, what shall I say, to an intelligence? Cogito ergo sum. But I do not think in my dream. That which is not myself I perceive through my senses. If I should survive my senses, what then? Of what then should I think? Cogito ergo sumus ego et non ego. I've described my dream, but not adequately. I've not explained that I awake into this vacancy, and at this, my present life is my dream. I am not afraid of dreaming, but I fear to awake. (laughs) Yeah. Wow.
1: So this is the ultimate that pride leads you to.
0: Complete aloneness, yeah.
1: Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And then when he says, and when I wake up, it's my dream. So he means he's moving through life like this.
0: Right. Yeah, alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's powerful.
1: Yeah, and he... I mean, I just think of him crushed under that cliff. Mm Mm-hmm. In that house. And... That dream is so accurate sounding. Yeah. You know. Um, and so it's just so awful to think of somebody, this is your destination. You've carved it out for yourself. Yeah.
0: Smoking that cigar slowly. Yeah. But it's the last you thing. You gotta you'll smoke feel. it anyway. Yeah. yeah. You can't stop. Uh yeah. I mean it's so meaningful. Yeah, yeah. it's like time moving. Mm-hmm. And doing nothing but just sitting there, letting time move. Yeah. yeah. Unable to, just... to act and there's unable to interact.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's,
0: that's that's stunning stuff. You know, and that last chapter, by the way, mm-hmm. is, um, that was so well done. I mean, you spend the whole book waiting for it and it did not let you down. <laughs> I mean, it is <laughs> yeah, the so well written. Oh my
1: gosh. It's
0: just like, um, uh, she she just nailed it. it. It was just so powerful.
1: Well, and every so often, um, because we know what's going to happen, she just kind of emphasizes it a little by saying, "You know, it's funny there aren't any gulls nesting this year like yeah. they usually oh, I are." I
0: loved those details.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. odd. Look, there's just right. there's these big cracks, and it looks like they've gotten a lot bigger. Yeah. You know. It yeah. Just, the the yeah. animals
0: seem to sense something's wrong, and then the night of, you know. There was mice everywhere on the and on a deck or somewhere.
1: It's like snakes were they leaving. Were getting yeah. Out of town. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this isn't yeah. good, and we know it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. the thing about yeah, and like you say, it does not let you down because honestly, we've already talked about the fact that Mister Siddle can't make it up the path, and Lady mm-hmm. Siddle's going because I just need to make it around. I think just I gotta get higher. Yeah. I gotta get higher because he's found and read the letter finally. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Mr. Paley had the letter, yeah, I guess. That's right. who he was saying this letter um, at some point, but Mr. Siddle then read it. And he was like, oh, yeah. crap, I know what's going to happen. So, he's trying to get out. He's trying to get up, but he's just not strong enough to do it. Yeah. And um, you're just, at that point, you know, he's not great, but he seemed to me to be the least bad of all these people. Mm. Um, and I was like, come on, man, you, you can make it. Yeah. Maybe the, you'll That's change so after this. Sure. You could do it. Yeah. Um."
0: And again, another and, change throughout the book. You know, he's, he's on the path. I mean, you feel, like, he you feel like he's late. on the path, yeah.
1: Yeah, he yeah. could, but he left it too late. And right. this is so, oh my gosh, all the stuff about the feast. And it's like, this is all us. Are we going to make it? When the, when the master uh, sends out the invitations to the wedding, mm-hmm. and all these people go, well, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, some other time. And he goes, okay, go out and gather everybody up. And, of course, this is a parable of Jesus's that I'm mistelling, I'm sure, horribly. Mm-hmm. But gather everybody up. Bring them in. And they, okay, all the poor, everybody, it's fine. And then he comes across this guy who's, like, not even dressed for a wedding. And he's like, what's up with you? And he goes, oh, well, I just, just didn't, yeah, didn't do it. And he's like, out. Throw him out. <laughs> yeah. And there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. But that's Mr. Siddle. He's mm-hmm. almost there. But he didn't do enough.
0: Yeah, a few weeks ago we had um, the parable of the with the seven virgins in the wedding feast. Mm-hmm. So it's keep keep your oil full.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know
0: what I mean. Yeah. And the and exactly. the ones the ones that discovered that they needed to get oil went and left to go get oil, but it was they missed the feast by doing so.
1: Well, yeah, because they said, "Give us some of your oil," and the maidens who had oil said, "Well, no, because then we'll run out." And that's almost like Missus Siddle going, "Come on, come on, I'll help
2: you, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: or I'll wait with you." And then Daff comes down the Daff, Duff comes down the cliff to get the wine, and she's, "Well, where's Jerry?" And he goes, "Why should Jerry come? Jerry always has to do everything." And I love that. Just to backtrack for a second, I love that Missus Paley's one little bit of advice struck to his heart. Hmm. And she says, You guys why, say something nice to him about being engaged. You yeah. always just say mean things. What has he done to make you be mean? And he goes, Well, oh, no, we're not mean. We're just, wait a minute, we are mean. <laughs> He'd been raised that way. It took somebody to kind of slap him out of it.
2: Yeah. And he yeah. went, Yeah,
1: I'll go get the wine. I'll do this stuff. Yeah. But so, yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was Mrs. Siddle, who was down at the hotel, she was so mad because she didn't want Jerry to marry Evangeline. She didn't want him to go to South Africa. And she was really mad because she's like, fine, I'm going to go to bed. I don't feel good because maybe she collapsed from the stress or something. And But Evangeline's cooking better meals than she ever made. So that's really (laughs) infuriating her.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So everybody's gone. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's eight people there. What's going on? Who's going to make it? Who isn't? And so the suspense is held to the end. And then it says – she was doing stuff hanging around the kitchen and she kept thinking, well, Jerry's going to come back for this wine. I see they forgot the basket of wine and it didn't matter what she was doing. It was like that basket of wine kept coming back to the forefront of her mind.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And I think you and I have experienced that, right? This is the Holy spirit, right? You have to pay attention to this thing. This thing is important, even though Mm -hmm. you don't know why. And so it says, um, listlessly she began to stack dishes in the sink and to make efforts to tidy the kitchen but this conviction that nothing signified so grew upon her that she could almost have thrown the whole dishes out after the broken ones only the basket on the dresser nagged at her with the positive insistence of an urgent task it stood out among all these lifeless things as though it had been illuminated or making some loud noise it implored her it commanded her to go and climb the hill. And so, at last she lifted it up again, feeling its weight. And then she says, well, maybe she didn't have to go all the way. Jerry would come, somebody come down the cliff, you know. And this is when she sees the cat running away. All these various things. She's seeing the signs. She's not putting them together, of course, because nobody knows about this cliff that's going to collapse. And um, But it's that way that's described is it nagged at her. It's mm. so insistent. It was almost talking to her. And yes, that's that yeah. thing that... Jeremiah talks about, right? Right, it's right. It's like a fire in my bones mm-hmm. until I just go ahead and say the stuff.
0: <laughs> until I just go ahead and say the stuff. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah. But That's you're right. I life, mean it's man. it's just beautiful. It's just yeah, it's yeah. It compelled, you know, just mm-hmm. um you know, it's your decision to do it. So maybe compelled isn't the right word, but it's it's this insistence that mm-hmm. you need to act. And yeah, sometimes you feel that you just got to do it. Even if it makes no sense, like you said, you're like, not sure why this is important, but it is. So when you can trust that and follow through, Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And she knows why it's important in the end. She's up the cliff, but sometimes you never know
2: why Right.
1: you do the thing, you risk the embarrassment, you, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And but but now you can stop thinking about it. Now it's not pressing on your mind like that.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that is Yeah, it's like an allegory for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. I mean literally. It was, you I was know. Say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that's how it goes. That's great.
2: Mhm.
0: What a beautiful book. My gosh. Um yeah, this is this is going on the top shelf in the pool room. It's not even.
2: <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, there's there's a few few items up there, but uh, this Ooh. one's going. It's up there, you yeah, know. Put it next to Lord of the Rings.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, or in this House of Breed. Yes, right. I think of it being kind of like that. It tells such mm-hmm. a good, interesting story, but at the same time, there's everything else being woven into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's and Lord of the Rings, so good, of and it's
0: but not like it comes off as preachy or anything. It's just, Mm-mm. again, you could miss all of these details and just enjoy the story. This is, um, this is a, yeah, it's it's a brilliant book. It's just good. But you're saying you it's, haven't read anything else by her?
1: No, no, and the library only has this runs. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the library on, only has this book of hers, and I there may be some others out there. I just, you know, haven't looked for them.
0: Yeah, I just don't know. And it says Good. here on, on Wikipedia, it says her she is best appreciated today for her second novel called The Constant Nymph.
2: Oh. Which was I've adapted into
0: a highly successful West End play, um, etc. So... Um, it just says um, the constant nymph tells how a teenage girl falls in love with a family friend who eventually marries her cousin. It explores the protagonist's complex family histories, focusing on class, education, and creativity.
1: If I asked you to define the type of book I hate, <laughs> that is it. That would be perfect. That would be yes. It. All right. That's it.
0: Yep. Very good. So
1: if you enjoy it and want mm. to read it, I will yeah. do so. I'd
0: love to hear but from anyone if anyone out there has read that book. I would love to hear it. <laughs> See if it's uh, yep if it if it lifts up to this.
1: Um, well, that's it. Feast. And there are things like you know, East of Eden was not something that was floating my boat, but I've now read it three times thanks to you having us read it on the podcast. So, cool. uh, or for the podcast. Love so uh, yeah, I mean. Mm-hmm. Anything's possible, but (laughs) the top top of a genre Uh can be wonderful. I mean, I finally fought my way through just enough Russian novels to go, okay, I understand why people like Anna Karenina and Crime and Punishment. Good. Done.
2: (laughs) Very nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, love it. Very good. well, yeah. thank you for introducing me to this
1: book. So. Oh, I'm so glad yeah. you liked it as much yeah. as I did. The second time I was reading it, I was just like, oh, this is great, and this is great, and this is great. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to reread a book, and then you catch all the other stuff. And yeah. I imagine the third time through, I can appreciate it even more. You
0: bet. You bet. Well, good. All right. So uh, <laughs> we've got one more episode this year.
1: Oh, yeah. And it is
0: a movie called Return to Me.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, okay, I was out of Christmas movies. Uh and uh, (laughs) A
0: problem that I'm also having is I'm trying to, I still feel like that last one for next year is an opening that I'm still trying to fill.
1: Return to me, since I was having trouble with Christmas stuff, it is, um, this is more my idea of why the incarnation happened. Hmm. In such a Catholic world, and such a Catholic way of looking at life and thinking, while being a super fun rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's
0: great. This is a favorite of mine, by the way. Is it? It's okay. A, it's, a, it's a household favorite, for sure. We've probably mm-hmm. seen it three times. Um, yeah. yeah it's Me too. Just, it's just enjoyable. <laughs> It's just
1: got so good. tons of great stuff in it. it so does. Yep. but very light. Yep. <laughs> so we're gonna go I'm
0: looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Well thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Yeah, then thanks.
0: We'll be back in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye.